Welcome back to the Montgomery Company's podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. Today, I'm with a guest that many of you know. If you don't, it's likely because you've been living under a rock. Um, If you're a sports person, you for sure know this name. He's the man, none other than Don Yeager. He's an author, thought leader, speaker, uh, family man, believer. Um, And he's been a guest on many major talk shows that includes Oprah, CNN, Good Morning America, He's an executive coach and 11-time New York Times best-selling author and a co-author of 30 books. He's an award-winning keynote speaker that is NSA certified. He's a leadership speaker. He's part of the Maxwell Leadership Team. On this podcast, we've had Jeff Henderson, Tim Elmore, Valerie Burton's going to join us. I don't know how this is happening, but God bless John Maxwell. We are just fortunate that we get to interview a lot of John's team, there's this Maxwell leadership team, thought leaders. Don Yeager was tapped on the shoulder personally, individually by John to be one of his five leaders that kind of carries the torch of Maxwell leadership um, with CEO Mark Cole also kind of leading the way. And listen, this guy's lived all around the planet. Um, He studied top performers and great leaders, hasn't just studied them, but spent time with them, shared a lot of conversation. He's lived with some of them. Uh, he's done life with these people. This list of just, I mean, great leaders, top performers, Jack Nicholas, John Wooden, Walter Payton, Warwick Dunn, Jeff Tarkanian, Bubba Watson, John Smoltz. Uh, many of you know those names. Maybe you've been a fan of some of those people or you've studied those people. This guy is, has studied them maybe as much as anyone. And um, he's given his life work to understanding leadership, uh, understanding what makes people tick, what makes teams tick. And we're going to dive into just a really awesome leadership conversation today with uh, my new friend and our dear guest, Don Yeager. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Jordan. Although listening to all that, I feel really old. I mean, you kind of, I'm suddenly, I'm, I feel like I've aged five, five uh, years just, uh, just listening to the introduction. Well, listen, there's, there's a lot of wisdom, man, packed into your journey, a lot of, a lot of life experience and as my I, wife says, it's not the years, it's the miles, right? I put that's a lot of, right. Come on. It's the miles. That's right. Well, here's, I kind of know how you may answer this question. I don't have the answer, but I always like to start with a question that's um, maybe let listeners know a little bit more about who Don is. Maybe some of the stuff that we wouldn't see out front on the internet. Um, but give us, give us maybe one thing that people would be surprised to know about Don Yeager. You know, uh, you made reference to it in the um, in the uh, the intro there. I just I, I've I've been around the world. Uh, I've I've lived, spent time in, uh, worked in uh, sixty five different countries uh, over the course of, um, and that's you know I, I guess you could look and say there's two hundred. So I'm, I still got a lot to do, but um, uh, but I don't just love what it what that experience has done for me. I love it so much that I have two children, you know, a son who's uh, 13, daughter who's 12, and they've both been in nearly two dozen countries in their lifetimes. And wow. so I, I I really believe that that ability to pick up, drop yourself into another environment, um, learn what others, what others are experiencing, uh, just gives you a, a much greater appreciation for the life we are blessed to live here in our country, uh, but also um, it it gives us a better appreciation of humanity. Well, I think you've grown such an appreciation just by virtue of all the people that you've been able to sit close to, experience from different walks of life. And 
It should be noted too, not just in the sports world. I mean, you've studied the life of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Yep. You've written books about these leaders. So, um, you know, I know you had this interesting conversation with your dad, and I'll let you tell the story so I don't steal your thunder, but he sort of encouraged you, you know, when you were early on in your years, uh, writing and interviewing, um, to maybe be asking some specific questions and paying attention to the answers. Can you give us a window into what that conversation was like with your dad and then how that transformed your, your journey? Yeah, it was, it, you know, it's one of those parental wisdom moments that you don't really fully appreciate until years later. But I was graduating from college, uh, uh, my alma mater, Ball State University in Indiana, go Cardinals. And um, uh, and graduating, heading to Texas for my first job as a as a reporter, a newspaper reporter, and I stopped at home in Indianapolis, spent spent a couple of days, and as I was leaving, my father just grabbed me in the driveway and said, "Son, you know, over the because you have chosen pro- journalism as your profession, um, you're going to end up in the presence of and and with access to." Uh, people that most of the rest of us would just give anything to spend time with. You will be in conversation with those people. He said, you'll do your job. I'm not worried about that. He said, but do yourself a favor and always ask one question of them that will make you better for having had that conversation. And I remember just being, I had 1,200 miles of driving ahead of me. And I just was riveted by this by this challenge for my dad, and um, and I came up with a simple question, which was, you know, uh, Jordan, if you, you know, I've I've got a chance now to interview you, and if you could name one habit for me, one thing that you built into your daily routine that you believe allowed you to to do things others couldn't, what would that habit be? What would the what would you what would what could I learn from you? And um, and I asked that question over the course of a 30 year career about 2,500 times and uh, to some of the greatest winners of our generation and um, kept it, kept their answers in a separate set of notebooks. Um, and when I retired from Sports Illustrated, I I sat down to try to calculate out what answers came up because I wanted to know if that's where they leaned. Why would I not spend my time leaning in that same in those same directions? So the natural next question then, Don, is what are some of the responses that you heard? What did the data reveal about these people that you spent time with? Oh gosh. Uh, well, the number one answer that came up more frequently than all the rest is that at some stage in their life, they learned to hate losing more than they love winning. The truly great ones kind of expect to be successful. Uh, it really doesn't give them a thrill like it does some of us who are just shocked when it happens, right? Um, but failure, whenever they fail, it it uh, it leaves a mark uh, in a way that allows them to to grow. And uh, and so, the, but the way you learn to hate losing more than you love winning, if you dig into that conversation, is you don't make excuses when you fail. And most of us mm. do that, right? Something doesn't go our way. We blame the economy. We say gas prices are too high. The wrong president is in office or whatever it is, right? We've got some answer for why we didn't achieve what we were supposed to. And um, and it's never our fault. And as long as you can deflect, as long as you can blame what happens on someone else, you'll never own it. And if you don't mm-hmm. own it, 
you'll never get better from it. So well said. And I know that there's a lot of lessons that, you know, if we had another three hours, we could maybe unpack some of the other lessons, Don. You also um, have learned a lot about teams. You wrote a book about great teams, 16 things, high-performing organizations do differently. And again, we don't have time for you to unpack all 16 things, but tell us a couple of your observations and spending time with great teams over the years. Sure. Yeah. Um, It was actually a natural outgrowth of the individual high-performance work that I had done, which was asking you for habits that made you better. I got challenged by an executive who said, that's really awesome. But how do I, how, how do I build a team that's really, that, that lasts a team that, that uh, sustains excellence. And so I went out to study the best teams. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And then if we want to mm-hmm. go get better, we chase success and learn its clues. And uh, so I went to study the best teams all over the world from, you know, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke to the All Blacks in New Zealand, the rugby team in New Zealand. And um, and again, I'll give you the number one answer that came up when those great teams were 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 being um, uh, constructed and, and when when they were being built is that at some stage they um, they don't just everybody. My, my good friend, Simon Sinek, I love his work on. Do you know your why? What is your why? But but there's a thing, there's a difference between knowing your why and feeling your why. And the best teams feel a sense of purpose. Um, and to do that, uh, they often have to get to know who they serve. And, you know, from a sporting team, right? It could be, you know, you could be serving the 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 coaches that helped you get there. Uh, you could be serving the people who had, who wore your Jersey in previous lifetimes. Um, whatever it is, you learn to, you learn who you serve and you feel a connection to them. And then you're, you have a deeper sense of what it means um, to actually uh, carry forward what it is that, uh, that you as a team have the ability to achieve. You know, Patrick Lencioni was on our podcast recently and has become a friend. And we were talking about this idea of servant leadership. And I've probably shared this on the podcast three other times because it was so impactful. And he said, it drives me crazy when people use the verbiage or use the term servant leader or servant leadership because it insinuates. Yeah, it insinuates there's another way to do it. Like service is leadership. Right. And so you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, this is, this is leading, right? It's understanding who, who are you serving? And what is your purpose? And um, and I love how you say, you know, f- feeling your why. There's a difference between knowing it and, and feeling it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we may know intuitively, uh, you know, one example that I have in, in the book is, is the medical device company Medtronic, right? They're based out of Minneapolis. They make devices that are implanted in people that keep them alive. Um, intuitively, everybody that works at Medtronic knows they're keeping people alive. But the most impactful thing that happens every year at a Medtronic event occurs every year, the week after Thanksgiving, when uh, many of their employees gather for their annual uh, get-together in their offices in Minneapolis, and they bring to the stage six families who were held together because a Medtronic device is keeping one of them alive. And each of those Mm -hmm. families get to look at the 
employees of Medtronic and hold a microphone and say, thank you, because you did what you promised. You know, my father got to walk me down the aisle this summer. And, you know, does that not change the way you feel about what you do? I may know that I'm keeping people alive, but suddenly I'm seeing a daughter and her father and pictures of her wedding up on the screen. And do I feel different about what I do? Yeah. I feel different. And so feeling what you do and why it matters changes the dynamic. That is powerful. Super powerful. Yeah. You're not just serving the individual. You're serving the people around them. There's a, there's a deeper purpose that goes beyond just, you know, saving lives and keeping people alive. Right. Well, and and we even make the point, I even make the point when I share that story uh, from stage during a speech about this concept that, um, that, that one of the things that's really unique about learning that when I did from Medtronic, the CEO of Medtronic, was that he made the point that most people don't even think about the idea that Medtronic actually doesn't sell its device to, to those people standing on the stage. They don't sell their device to patients. They sell their device to hospitals or doctors. But the patients are where they're the downstream beneficiary of your good work. And often we get caught up in making sure our customer is happy. What we should really be connected to is who does our customer serve with what we do? And if we're, if we're really connected downstream, the, the feeling you have about the greatness of what you get a chance to do every day, it just explodes. So anyway. Well, we could just end the podcast right here, and that would be one of the better episodes we've recorded, man. That was that was gold. That's so good for any leader, uh, any any human, just to hear. I mean, that's a what a powerful thing to think about in how we how we operate in our work, you know, in, in our daily lives with our family. I mean, that's a the powerful thought. Um, hey, this is we're not even halfway through. I got I got so much stuff I want to ask you about, Don. And it, one of the things that makes you a really effective leader and and communicators you're a great storyteller and i couldn't let i couldn't let you off our podcast i couldn't have you on the podcast without asking you to tell us some of these great stories um and and i've got a bunch of them i want to ask you about but you spent a bunch of time with walter payton Mm. in the end of uh in the end of his life and you wrote this book never die easy about about walter and and again i don't want to steal your thunder but um can you can you tell us what it was like to spend time with with Walter Payton and his family, he actually lived with him um, for a period of time. Tell tell us more about sweetness. Well, I mean, let's let's start with the randomness of the fact that he was my hero, right? Um, I mean, I wanted I, I played football, loved Walter Payton, wanted to be the white number thirty four, right? I was going to be the white Walter Payton. <laughs> Uh, of course, all I had was the jersey number, right? I didn't have anything else, but I had the jersey number. But you, but, but, um, and the idea that a few years later I would get to know him as a writer, and then he would get ill and he would make a decision that it was time for him to write a book. He knew that he was not going to live and uh, through his, uh, through his illness. And he chose me to be the writer. And so I got to, I got to be chosen by my hero, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in its own way, that's really emotional. And then when you get there to find out that he chose you, but he knows he's not going to live and you're going to experience this with him. 
And it's going to be one of those things where he knows from day one that he will not be there to read the book when you're done. And which means he has to trust you. And it, um, for me, it was game changing. Like it was life changing to have Walter mm-hmm. Payton um, offer me that endorsement, if you would, right? That, that trust, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, trust is an endorsement in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, by giving me that, um, allowed me to just, to just be present in his life and with his family. Um, for the last 10 weeks of his life. Special. It was incredible. I was there at the home the morning Walter passed. I mean, it, I helped the family construct the mm. statement they wrote, shared out to the world that, that he was gone. And it was, um, for me, I, I I love the Peyton family. I love Jarrett and Con- Jarrett, uh, Connie, the, his widow, Jarrett and Brittany, his two children, um, been honored to be at their weddings. And I just, I'm, I, I feel like I'm blessed to have been with them, but they taught me so much because for everything I honored, you know, there's an old saying in sports, never meet your heroes. Cause they'll first, they'll almost certainly let you down. Um, Walter Payton broke that, that saying for me, he was better in that time than I could ever, um, ever imagine. He taught me lessons um about um uh, about what it meant to be not just great at what he did but great at who he was and uh lessons that I hold mm. dear today and you had a you had a chance recently to interview uh and kind of record a conversation with with the children right and and the family don yeah. yes we did we did special a, we do a podcast i do a podcast um corporate competitor podcast yeah there you go. Got to pimp it out a little bit. That's right, man. Uh, That's right. I do. I do a podcast that, um, and I had uh, Brittany and Jarrett on for that podcast, just to talk about what it was like to have the relationship with two special people because of the opportunity afforded by their father. So cool. And we should have mentioned a podcast at the top of uh, our conversation. The corporate competitors actually where I first learned about Don Yeager. Uh, and following you and your work, and you've got you know one of the top podcasts I think on the topic of leadership, personal development. So thanks for your faithfulness, man, and in interviewing top thought leaders. Uh, you're putting so much good stuff out into the world. Well, and probably like you, Jordan. I mean, the thing is, I'm a junkie for this stuff. Right? I would do this for free, and I would do it. Uh, I would do it all day long, no matter what. And and the, the opportunity to get a chance to interview people that I would love, that I I constantly want to learn from. Um, it doesn't just hopefully make listeners better. Uh, it makes me better every time I get a chance to do it. I'm sure, I hope uh, other than this hour, I hope you'll be able to, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll say that about most of your, most of your conversations. Well, man, I I'm telling you, this is, this is a, you're right. I, some of my top relationships have come from people that we've interviewed, you know, and, so it's not just what you learn, but it's it's this amazing gateway to to new relationships and friendships. So um, yeah, big big deal, big deal. Uh, and you've again, you've been so faithful in interviewing so many wonderful people. But we're gonna we're gonna stay in this theme of stories. Um, Warwick Dunn is is a person that you've been really close with, become close to. Um, this is one of the most powerful stories. So get ready for this one if if you haven't heard 
uh, Don talk about Warwick. Um, I know you spent a lot of time together. Specifically, I'd love for you to tell the story of going to this prison with Warwick for a really special, impactful conversation. I'll just leave it off right there and let you let you take the wheel, Don. Uh, wow. Well, for those who might not know Warwick, uh, he was a running back in the National Football League, um, a, a little one, five five eight, hundred seventy eight pounds. Um, but the smallest player in history of the NFL uh, to have achieved, uh, to have run the football for 10,000 yards, right? At that, and to think about doing it at that size, it's really incredible to take the beating that you have to. Um, but he's, but it's, but his life story and his backstory is even more incredible than his numbers. Um, uh, son of a police officer in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, police officer, single mom. Um, who had six children. He was the oldest of the six. Mm. Um, he becomes so good. He loves football. And over the course of his high school career, becomes so good that literally every major college coach uh, in the South made their way to Betty Smother's couch to ask if um, if her son could come play at their university. Um, Christmas Day, he wakes up, he and his mom do. They... Um, they make a decision that afternoon that he is going to go play at Florida State for Bobby Bowden, and they actually called Coach Bowden on his cell phone. and And I got to, I knew Coach Bowden for years, and he used to say, uh, for years, he would say that was the greatest Christmas gift he ever received was that call from Warwick Dunn. Uh, well, two weeks later, two weeks and two days later, Warwick's phone rings, and it's the it's the local police calling to tell him that his mother uh, had been shot and killed in a robbery at a bank. Um, he was 18 years old, just turned 18 three days earlier. He had all kinds of responsibilities that he wasn't ready for. He is now the man of the house for these six children, five five additional children, and um, gets a co- phone call from Coach Bowden, who says, you know, you, look, things are different. You can stay there. I mean, you, your commitment is, you don't have to hold to your commitment. You can stay in Baton Rouge if that's better for your family. And he says, no, man, my mother and I made that choice together. Um, I'll see you there this summer. I would never dishonor her. Mm. I will see you there this summer, but I'm going to need an apartment. It's a little bit bigger because he was bringing with him his three youngest brothers and sisters um, because uh, he was going to raise them while playing major college football. Uh, goes on, not only does he have an incredible career, wins a national championship, becomes the all-time leading rusher in the history of the university, graduates with a degree in business, um, actually now has his MBA. But but in that window of time, uh, he finishes as the all-time leading rusher, as I said, at the university, and ends up going to the NFL. And when he arrives at the NFL playing for Tony Dungy, Coach Dungy, he um, he announces that he's going to start a charity buying homes for women like his mother, single moms. Uh, He just last week bought his 206th home for a single mom. Uh, I think the number right now is 553 children uh, woke up in a house Mm -hmm. this morning that they get to call their own because of work done, right? This guy's just incredible at every level. Just unbelievable. couple of years before he is getting ready to finish his career, he wins the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. You get to tie all these stories together. Isn't that cool? 
So wins cool. the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, the NFL, honoring him for the, you know, for for the greatest off-field contributions made by an NFL player. Uh, he gets a chance to write a book, asked me to be the author with him. And in writing the book, uh, the conversation turns one day to the idea um, that he had never spent any time in the presence of the man that killed his mother, that every time that man entered a courtroom, Warwick got up and walked out. And the question I asked him was, now this is years later, that man still sits in prison. If you could sit down with him, what kind of questions would you ask him? What would you say if you ever could go eye to eye with the man that killed your mom? And um, he, he got up, left my office because he couldn't deal with the conversation, came back a couple days later, had the questions in a notebook and asked me, uh, and we started talking about it. And as it happened, um, a friend from Louisiana had called me. We'd been talking about work leaving the office and how awkward I felt for asking such a painful question. And my friend said, that's interesting. Look at this. And he sends me an article that says that in Louisiana, there's a law that if you're the victim of a crime that leads the perpetrator to death row, you're the victim, perpetrator's on death row, and you fill out certain paperwork, the Louisiana Department of Corrections will expedite a meeting between victim and inmate because they want the victims to find closure. So Warwick hands me this notebook with all these questions, and I hand him the article. And I said, look at this, buddy. You could actually go ask the questions. Whoa. Took him three more days to consider that idea. But when he came back, he said, Don, let's go. Let's go to Louisiana. I want to ask the questions. And uh, we filled out the paperwork. We ended up at Angola State Prison. And when we walk in, the warden actually grabs him and says, Warwick, you know, I know you came here for closure, but you need to know the man uh, has his lawyers with him. He's in a cell we've got set up for you back there, but he's got his lawyers. And and even though he confessed to killing your mother years ago, last night they filed an appeal with the United States Supreme Court in which he now claims he wasn't even there the night it happened. If you're going back there for closure, you're not going to get it. And Warwick looked at the ward and he said, sir, I didn't come here today for him. Came here today for me. And I should have known right then Warwick had something inside of him that was mm. going to be the greatest I'd ever get a chance to see. And we go back in this little cell. There's a round table there. And we end up in this room. It's the inmate, his two lawyers, Warwick. I'm to his right. Warwick's high school coach is to his left. And there's just six of us in the room. And the man starts lying and telling this story about where he really was that night and how he wasn't even there. And 30 minutes later, Warwick finally holds up his hand to stop the conversation, closes his notebook of questions, and he said, if you weren't there that night, I don't know why you came here today. But I know why I came here today. I came here to forgive somebody. I remember walking Mm. out of that prison thinking I could go to the next 20 Super Bowls and I'll never see a greater championship moment. I'll never see a human, single human, do anything as extraordinary as that. And uh, we got in the van and I asked Warwick, 
where'd you get that? Like, where'd you, how'd you have that in you to be able to forgive somebody for the unforgivable? And he said, you know, my mother used to tell us that there will be days out there where things will change the direction of your life. And in those moments, you get two choices. You could be bitter or you can be better. And today I wanted to make my mother proud. Oh, wow. And I just, I think about that all the time, man. Every time I, every time something comes up that suggests I've had a rough day, I think of Warwick Dunn and I think, man, I, I could be bitter. I could be better. And um, today I just need to be better. Wow. Well, I, you know, I'm an emotional guy, Don. So I've gotten emotional on our, our podcast before, but I, I didn't intend <laughs> to, to, to have tears with you today. That's it. That is such a, a powerful story. And you think about, I mean, your work has just led you down some of these incredible paths of just, not just relationships, but moments, you know, I mean, you've just been in some really special, unique life altering moments. Um, and, and, and I can't imagine the. I'm blessed. The, yeah. Yeah. You are, you are blessed. And, I know. I, I, and trust me, I am fully aware of it. I don't, uh, yeah. I, I don't run from that at all. Well, and listen, you, you've made it your life's mission to tell these stories, right? To inspire and encourage and empower people. And, and also I think be a part of their legacy, you know, that this is part of Warwick's story and Walter's story. And, and again, man, you've been, you've been carrying the, the torch in this really unique way. What is that? I mean, if I, it, I, I want to ask you about a, a, a different type of story here in a minute, but before we go there, what, what has that meant to you? If you were if able to kind of just describe that in words, these really unique moments, how's that touched you? How's that sort of shaped your life? Well, I think every one of them have changed who I am, right? I mean, I would be, you can't, you mm. can't, uh, I'm an emotional guy too, right? I'm, I, mm. I had tears in my eyes telling you this story mm. and I've done it mm. a thousand times. Um, but I, I, um, I'm better because of the people I've been blessed to work mm. with people. I've been blessed to be touched by. And, you know, I said earlier, Walter trusted me, Walter Payton trusted me. All of these people trust me to tell their story and to do it in a way that's honoring and, uh, but but in every one of those stories, we're going deeper than they've ever gone before. Most of them, and um, and that's a um, there's a really special responsibility that comes with that, and it um, it it's a, it it's my honor, right? I mm. uh, you know I I look at it, and I think they have they they bless me when I get a chance to get into those conversations. Yeah, well, keep telling the. Keep telling the stories and carrying the torch because um, it's powerful. And uh, and those moments haven't happened to you by accident. I believe that, you know, I really believe that. So thank you for your commitment and your faithfulness to to be there for those people and then to and then to share. Really special. Um, this guy might not want you to share the story. His name is Michael Jordan. And, and one of the reasons you've become known, Don, among many, is that you are one of six people, I believe. Now, this may have changed, but but as far as we know, you're one of six people to beat, to, to beat MJ in a game of one-on-one on, on, on the planet. And so some people are thinking, wait a minute, hold on. 
Um, Hold on, they're Googling me and they're going, look yeah. at that. There's no way with that body that that guy be MJ. Well, they were thinking, no, you know, he's a journalist. You know, he's interviewed some great people, but was he, did he play in the NBA? So so tell this story. This is a pretty good story. Tell this story. I mean, this is this is real. We're about to find out. This is you beat MJ one-on-one. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski was there to witness the moment. T- tell us. Tell us the story of beating MJ. So I, I mean, I love hoops. I actually love basketball. I have a full court in my backyard. So I love the game of basketball. I shoot all the time. I've never met a shot I cannot, I I, I would not embrace. <laughs> and um, I'm one of those guys, right? I get over half court and I think I'm in range. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and so I, I get Mike, uh, Jordan actually hosts an old man basketball camp in Vegas it's a hundred guys divides you into teams of 10 brings in great coaches, Shashevsky, you know, Bayheim. It's some of the greatest 19 of the 20 coaches of the year I was there. Uh, we're in the hall of fame already. Right. Which is pretty crazy. And um, so you, you start making your, you, you start playing, but on day three of this event, Jordan actually walks out and he says, today, I'm going to give 20 of you the opportunity to go one-on-one with the greatest player of all time, which is pretty arrogant, right? But how cool and what a head case that makes it, right? Because you're immediately, you're, you're the, the second you get chosen, you realize you're going against the greatest. Not that you didn't already know it, but he reminds you that he knows yeah. it, which is good too. Right? <laughs> That's right. And um, he says, the rules are simple. I'm going to let my assistant explain them. His assistant says, yes. Rules are simple. Today, you're going to play a game to one. The first guy to score wins. And by the way, in each in each of these competitions, Michael Jordan starts with the ball. <laughs> right. <laughs> so obviously, first guy to score wins. Jordan starts with the ball. Your odds are really low. And she says, um, and Jordan steps in and says, by the way, in, the, in all the years I've done this, um, uh, only five guys have ever scored on me. And today there's not going to be a sixth. So obviously totally in your head, uh, the guy, couple, two guys in front of me goes out to guard Jordan, like she throws an elbow at him and stuff. And Jordan swipes the elbow away, two steps, thunder dunks, pulls the ball out, chucks it at the guy as he's laying there on the floor and says, now, you know what it's like to be. Uh, beaten like a bad child, right? Spanked like a bad child. And he's just a great trash talker. He loves yeah, trash. Yeah. So, so I go out and I actually back up and I give him space. And he looks at me and I just decided he wasn't going to dunk on me. You know what? And he looks at me and he's got the ball in his left hand with his right hand. He's calling me out. And he looks at me and he says, are you really going to give me this shot? And I look back at him and I said, I don't think you have it in you. <laughs> <laughs> which makes everybody laugh. And, and so Jordan then just shakes his head, goes up, takes his shot and he misses and the ball goes wide left. I get the rebound. And now I take it back outside the three point line and he's stepping out to guard me as he's stepping out. I look back and I said, Michael, aren't you going to return the favor? Like, and give me the same space I gave you. Right. Basically. And he looks at me and he goes, I know you don't have that shot in you. And as he's talking, he's like, he's, he's trash talking me. I literally go into motion jacket, 26 feet, nothing but the bottom of the net <laughs> game that six flair to ever score on Michael Jordan. That is such an awesome yeah, yeah, story. Didn't, he, didn't Krzyzewski say that when you were playing defense, you'd have to get a cab 
Yeah. What was the line? Uh, he actually, when he was joking about, he said, Jaeger, you were so far away from him that if you'd wanted to go out and guard him, you'd had to take a cab. <laughs> and so okay. that's how that's how much distance I gave Jordan. But anyway, they, uh, it, that's uh, great. Hey, one of those yeah. moments that I get to talk about for the rest of my life. Come on. Come and on, I do man. talk about yeah, it as let's often go. as I'm allowed. Well, you got a lot of great stories. That one's near the top. That's pretty good. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's end let's end with a leadership lesson, man. You uh again, you you've just spent so much time with great leaders in sports and business. I think that's part of what makes your journey so unique, Don, is it's the spheres of influence that you've touched, you know, from um, presidents to athletes to business people, executive leaders. Um, you've just, you've, you've kind of run the gamut. You've really been around a lot of different types of people. And your good friend, our mutual friend, John Maxwell, has this sort of famous question, right? And he, he always asks it in that John Maxwell tone and voice, but he says, you know, what is the greatest lesson you've ever learned? And um, I'm curious to know, in all your time working with leaders and being a leader yourself, as you look back over your life's work and journey, what's the greatest leadership lesson that Don Yeager has ever learned? I would tell you it, it would come from uh, the work, the opportunity I had to uh, be in relationship uh, with a basketball coach named John Wooden. Um, you know, I would argue greatest coach ever in the history of any sport. Um, coach Wooden and I had a relationship over the last 12 years of his life in which every other month for 12 years, I flew to California for a day with John Wooden. And, um, and, and my day was, it was these were mentoring sessions. Uh, he would answer questions as long as I had them. And so I came prepared with, you know, mountains of questions so that I could get I could learn from him. Uh, but one day we were talking extensively about, about growth and, uh, and he launched into a lesson about uh, the importance of the circle of people you have around you. Uh, and he, it, the lesson ultimately kind of the climax is um, you will never outperform your inner circle. That if you want to know what your capacity for greatness is your capacity for success is you look at the people you have around you uh in your your personal life and your professional life in your in, in, you know whatever whatever circles of life you might have spinning look at who you put in your circle and by the way your circle of is not the people you wish you had in your life it's the people you spend your time with that's your circle and um one morning we were talking about this at coach's favorite restaurant and, um, and he takes a sheet of paper out of my notebook and he draws two lines down the sheet. And he says, you know, when you come back tomorrow, he says, I want you to go through in the first line, I want you to pick the five people you spend the most time with in your personal life. The middle is the five people you spend your most time with professionally. Like, who do you go to lunch with? Who do you hang out with? And the third one is maybe uh, rotaries or church or some other, some other more social organization. And he said, as you look at each person on that list, I want you to ask yourself, are they going where I want to go? Uh, or are they maybe the anchor that's keeping me from getting there? And he said, because you will never outperform your inner circle. And if you want to, 
be better. Mm. Your job is to look at that list, strike the names that are keeping you from going where you're trying to go and create a new circle. Cause that's what you're, that's going to be the defining moment in your life. And, um, coach Wooden's ad admonition to me about constantly evaluating my circle has been probably the most game-changing leadership advice I've ever received. Really good. Really good. You know, most people um, who come on this podcast have a story or, or two. They've, they've spent time with a top thought leader or two. Even, even the, the greatest, you know, most well-known leaders have some cool stories with a, with a handful of leaders. I mean, you literally have thousands of stories with dozens of leaders from so many different walks of life, from John Wooden to Walter Payton, you know, John Smoltz to Warwick Dunn. The list just goes Bubba Watson. The list goes on and on. And I just, uh, I think Actually, maybe, if I felt five years older, just listening to your intro. Now I feel 10 <laughs> years older listening to that, to, to that line. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, Hey, it's, it's, you've packed it into a really short period of time. I mean, it is truly remarkable how many people you've spent time with. You've got to be You've got to be one of the more interesting people to have a conversation with just because of your breadth and depth of knowledge and, and, and relationships. Um, here's what I think about. When I think about Don Yeager, I want to ask you this final question. You've managed to grow in your influence with people who have influence. I mean, that's kind of been a hallmark of your existence. So if you're going to, if you're going to challenge our listeners, if there's one thing they could do to grow in their influence. Because you've done it well. You've done it maybe better than anyone walking planet Earth right now. If they want to grow in their influence with leaders, um, in their place of work, in their community, with their family, what's one thing that you'd recommend a young leader, emerging leader, any leader do to expand their influence? Ask great questions. Uh, so I'm going to cheat and give you two, right? That's fair. Ask great questions and then listen. Most people are so busy uh, trying to formulate the next question or they're so busy trying to um, uh, imagine how they're going to respond to whatever the person is saying that they're not listening. And um, the true wisdom is in listening. Knowledge speaks, wisdom listens. Love it. And uh, you, my friend, have just a ton of wisdom. This has been a joy. Thank you so much for investing your time and energy. We want to honor your time. I know Don Yeager has things to do, places to go and people to serve. So um, well, we got to make sure we shout heart, out our, want to say thanks. got to make sure we shout out our friend, Cody Foster, who, who helped us build this relationship. That's awesome. Cody's the best. Uh, if you're not following Cody business of advice podcast, uh, go check out Cody's podcast um, advisors, Excel in Topeka, Kansas, um, dear friend of, of mine, of Don's. And again, Don, I want to give your podcast a shout out. Um, corporate competitor. If you're not listening to the corporate competitor, go check it out. I mean, Don's interviewing some of the most fascinating people. Again, he's an 11-time New York Times best-selling author. You can find him all over social media. He's hard to miss. And um, I know, Don, we have a bunch of people who are digging into your content right now, looking you up, wanting to know more about you. Um, wh what's next for Don Yeager? Can you give us a window into what you're working on right now? Yeah, um, I, my next book is uh, with a minor league baseball team in Savannah, Georgia, called the Savannah Bananas. And uh, they're an amazing study. And it's actually one of the great business. It'll be one of the great business books I'll ever write. Um, hmm. 
and uh, and then you get to throw minor league baseball in it as well. So it'll come out next awesome. spring. But the big thing for me now is I'm you know I'm rebuilding the speaking business like you are. You know we we all lost it for yeah. that for that couple of years. So uh, just rebuilding the opportunity to go out and speak uh, to audiences again. Well, listen, we're gonna we're gonna do some speaking together. I'm committed to bringing you to Iowa, pulling you into some of our events that we're putting together. You just have too much wisdom for uh, the great people of Iowa not to hear it. So I look forward to that opportunity to share a stage with you at some point. Can't wait for that. Jordan, thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. This has just been a real treat and a joy. And um, this is one I'm going to play back, you know, many times over. So thanks for being with us, Don. Thanks for who you are, all that you do. Um, Yeah, really honored to have you on the show. My honor. This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. I want to say thanks also to John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this episode go. If you enjoy listening to this show, if you're somebody who tunes in once in a while to our podcast, we'd love it if you'd officially subscribe so that we could move our mission of impact forward. This podcast is designed to help the leader go farther faster. We hope we've done that today. Be well, be great. Have a wonderful day.